Danny, hi. Hi, hello. And, hi, and why don't we just very quickly start, where, where are you? I am um, locally in my bedroom, um, but beyond that I'm in um, New Zealand, on the opposite side of the world, uh, in the middle of nowhere, basically in an island police state at this point. It's very peculiar because, like, I know from my days writing a Bitcoin book, quite a few people, you know, Bitcoin whales, as they are known, and, you know, who've earned tremendous amounts of money uh, from Bitcoin, not just millions, but sort of hundreds of billions, uh, sorry, hundreds of millions. And of billions, many of, <laughs> yeah, and many of them have, like one guy I'm thinking of in particular was really getting his knickers in a twist about COVID in January. And he was going, you've got to get out of London. You've got to get into the countryside. It's really serious, blah, blah, blah. And he is one of many who have bought, he's American, but he's bought residential property somewhere in New Zealand. And he had a year's worth of supplies in his fridge. He's got a huge freezer somewhere in his basement. And he had a year's worth of supplies. And, you know, I credit this guy with tremendous foresight because on the one hand, you know, he's made a fortune from Bitcoin. And on the second, he kind of saw this coming. But there's this sort of cult of quite a few libertarian, rich libertarians with second properties in New Zealand that they hold up in. And it's ironic that these sort of figures should be in what you've just described as a police state. So how, how do we reconcile those two things? Why is, it, why is New Zealand Bitcoin libertaria and at the same time a police state? Um, I suppose that in, in a lot of ways, New Zealand started off before this COVID crisis as one of the freest places. Um, New Zealand prides itself on having a rather quick working government. They can sort of turn on a dime, which I don't see as a good thing, but it's, um, it, it did mean that uh, for the last couple of decades, New Zealand has been at the top of the economic freedom index or even just general freedom indexes by any um, organization around the world. So yeah, it was, I think I was, it was already, this, it was the freest country in the world, wasn't it? According to by, the, by some metrics. Yeah. By other, yeah. like I, I know Cato's one and Heritage's one both put New Zealand as third in economic freedom just after Hong Kong and Singapore. But um, I think Finland is in there as well. Somewhere in there. Yeah. 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 The, but New Zealand is always in one of the top five um, in any yeah. freedom. Index. Um, and that was because I, somewhere time around the 80s, um, the government basically spun on a dime and completely opened up the economy. Uh, and New Zealand was particularly free ever since. But they kind of the same thing. And they have just locked down and taken away all freedom just as quickly. So was it like, quite sort of authoritarian? Was it, was it quite authoritarian until the, until the 70s then? Yeah. Um, so New Zealand's been through... A, a whole lot of different um, stages because the government like changes quite quickly. But yeah, until like the seventies and eighties, New Zealand was a little bit socialisty and not not that wealthy. <laughs> but um, around the seventies, eighties, um, uh, we actually had a Labour government. The, le the left wing government um, pushed through a whole lot of economic reforms. Uh, the the finance minister at the time is not liked by lefties at this point because he's sort of seen as a as a betrayer, but um, he made the country what it is today. Yeah, so it, it, un, until then, it would not have been the libertarian paradise. But your question was about like, why- Yeah, these guys all, they, they, made all they all made their investment before COVID, to be fair. Yeah, well, New Zealand, 
for the last few decades has been seen as sort of like, you know, some free paradise island in, in, in the Pacific. And to some extent that was true, but what I, they might not have realized when they bought that, that New Zealand could also do this as much as it has so quickly, like the entire country locked down. To, even now people aren't allowed, um, we're, we're getting people into the country um, is completely stopped. If, if you think that there's anything positive about um, even the tourism industry, nope, completely gone. Uh, and so, um, so what's happened to like you know Johnny Johnny Smith who runs a uh, an Airbnb, not an Airbnb, just a B and B geared for people driving around New Zealand in their camper vans? What, what's happened to that bloke? There's been a lot of restrictions on people even moving around within New Zealand. Um, I think that the last update this month. Um, we're starting to have like serious gatherings back and things like that. I think it's up to a hundred people you can now gather with, which is most gatherings. But you know, you still can't do a concert. And, and until and and for like nine months, you've been like that, no gatherings. Or six, oh six yeah, months, like so. for much worse than that. Like for um, since COVID started, it is it's gotten much worse. Like uh, I'm lucky enough that my job I can work from home, but most people um, are having trouble with that. Uh, we've got the highest unemployment we have had ever in our history. We've got the highest welfare claims we've ever had in our history. It's just everything shut, was shut down. Um, and did you I have know, the furlough scheme? The which? The furlough scheme. We had a, it was called furlough, but it's such a weird word. But it's mm. basically where the government paid your wages. And, and the, your company laid you off and your government paid your wages. The government did do a lot of welfare for people, but... Um, I don't think that we had any, I didn't hear the word furlough going around. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, basically the government just pushed everyone onto welfare. Uh, I, there's, I actually didn't realize um, how bad it had been until I started talking. It, it opened up a little bit and I talked to the people at, like I started to see which businesses that just shut down had not been able to um, survive. Just little things like the, my favorite burger place down the road has gone now. They couldn't get through it. Um, there's just tons of people who I talked to this one woman where, where at my job who'd uh, got fired from a job like laid off because you know the, the company had to shut down um, I should say fired like laid off because the company had to get shut down yeah. so she managed to in an emergency um, get another job that company also shut down and then she ended up on welfare so you know even people who are like really good qualifications able to move around jobs even now have been screwed over by this and what's your take? Because it's not a black and white thing, this, this COVID. I mean, by all accounts now, I, I've, I've sort of avoided getting into arguments about it because I don't understand enough about it. Mm. But certainly in the UK, we're having a rise in cases, but no uh, corresponding rise in deaths. And either there's like a new, less dangerous strain of the virus doing the rounds, or people have built up some kind of, immunity to it or all the really vulnerable people have already gone or something or something but, i mean um, all but, the data i mean from, either before yeah well I, I know that for a fact because my my um dad passed away in april and we had long conversations with the nurses in his dying days because we were all just sat by his bedside and the nurse was just saying we are being told it every um death is being cause of death covid even when it isn't just because it just makes the admin easier or there's some right. weird agenda to put COVID. So 
I know for a fact that all the deaths from COVID numbers in the UK are, are wrong. Yeah, um, it's hard to come by good data when people aren't trying to budget. And um, to be honest, it kind of seems like they are. Um, there's a couple of different incentives. Like, for example, uh, over in the States, um, I noticed that different governors, um, is especially, what's his face, Cuomo? Um, Who's he? Uh, New York, I believe. I, I might okay. get some of the details wrong, but the, what I'm basically talking about is the incentives is um, if your area, you're, you're a governor or something, your area is going to um, get a lot of funding from um, the central government, uh, federal government in America, um, uh, or uh, over the equivalent, if you've got a lot of COVID, so you're actually incentivized to pump up your numbers. So that doesn't so mean I wonder if in, I bet involved, in the hospitals they were getting, yeah, 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 yeah. I bet in the hospitals they were getting extra money, extra grants, the more, <laughs> the more COVID yeah. cases they have. Exactly. And just other kinds of aid, you know, because, um, you know, oh, our COVID numbers are off the charts. We need to shut down our economy. So we're going to need a lot more grants for, you know, to bail people out. Yeah. It's amazing how, like, just that, I mean, essentially, that is benevolent government intervention. We are trying to help uh, these people who have extra COVID cases. But it's amazing how even something benevolent, essentially benevolent like that, creates A, distortion, and B, hmm. dishonesty, and lying, yeah. and, and, and manipulation of the truth, and all these things, so everyone just gets their little piece of the pie. Effectively, it creates a special interest group. You just see it right there in that little dynamic. Exactly. Um, I think people, when the government gets involved, it's, it kind of necessarily has to result that way. Like the government doesn't um, have a bottom line where it's like, well, how have our results actually happened? It's all about appearances, right? Like the, the government will only stop doing some negative thing if people notice. Right? If, it, if, it's, if it's simply causing their products to, if a company's um, doing something that's causing their product to be crappy in some way that people don't understand or know about, they're still going to pick a different product because the product at the end is crappy. But at the government, you, um, if you're not going to, if you don't know exactly what the problem with what the government is doing and why these bad things are happening that it's causing, right? You, you don't know that um, these, the governors are inflating the COVID statistics, for example. You're not going to investigate that. And there's no product at the end that you can simply go to another one if it's bad, right? Because it's all about appearances, I, I think that necessarily the government engaging in something is going to have the wrong incentives. Um. What about the whole sort of madness of Black Lives Matter and all that? Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm reading there's a, a barrister in The Guardian in the UK, a, a black woman barrister who was, or actually mixed race, who was mistakenly identified as a defendant rather than a barrister. And apparently this happens quite often. And she's now calling for racism training to be mandatory yeah. in the UK and you know uh, anyone who complains that the UK is racist my advice is always travel more and then you'll see that that yeah. you'll actually on a global scale the UK is pretty good but anyway this madness of black lives matter which essentially as I see it is mm. just another special interest group demanding special favor yeah um 
has that infected New Zealand? Yes, in ways that are still completely baffling to me. When George Floyd um, was killed, yeah, the height of the lockdown, where you know you go to a cafe, um, you know you you open up your cafe, you go to your friend's house, and you could be arrested at this time. They had a giant, you know, packed out protest along the largest street in Auckland, and they weren't stopped. Like that's totally fine because, as you know, COVID actually doesn't infect you if you're protesting for Black Lives Matter. It, it avoids you entirely. It's uh, it's something weird and, about the and and the government didn't clamp down on that. No, no, the government did nothing about that. The prime minister um, actually was in favour of it. Said said how good it was. <laughs> so and we're like your sort of I don't even know. I'm going to use the wrong terminology, but you know the indigenous New Zealanders, the South Sea Islanders, you know who have been handed a pretty raw deal, you know, a couple of hundred years ago by by settlers. Uh, I would have thought. I mean, are these are are they your sort of George Floyd figures? Are they are people championing them, or is it is it specifically no. the transatlantic slave trade that people are fighting no, over? None of that. It's it's literally because the cops in America killed George Floyd. It's um, utterly insane, but they, they are protesting on Queen Street because someone on the other side of the world was killed. It, it is ba- I, do, I don't understand it, but that is actually why they were protesting. I don't, I don't know what it was meant to achieve. I don't know what I can say to make, explain it any better. It's just insane. And what is cause, is it social media? That there's, there's like, it's like a mental infection. Well, so, but, social media uh, or... And, or, or like the regular media, the regular media seems to be pretty, pretty heavy on supporting Black Lives Matter in general. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's just, it's madness. Just as, anyway, the, the, and, and people can't make the simple distinction, some can, but the simple distinction between Black Lives Mattering and the yeah. organization Black Lives Matter. Yes. First of all, Black Lives Matter is a, weird phrase i it's so i, I would not i would it's not so create a uh, so first of all it sounds weird disingenuous yeah but also just totally outside of the politics of it who talks like that i don't ref- if, if i said that my life matters i'd say that my life matters i wouldn't say my white life matters right it's my <laughs> life is not my race that's not my life it's uh, just a weird way of talking I, I think it's become normalized, but um, it seems strange to me. So even from there, but the thing about Black Lives Matter is it's based on the idea that cops in America are more willing to shoot blacks than whites. Um, that might be true. It's kind of hard to, to tell. There's a whole lot of um, statistics. I think that have statistically to go it's been debunked. Is, is, I'm yeah, not uh, the, the only studies I've seen have shown that uh, the cops are actually slightly more willing to kill uh, whites. Um, but at the very least, the difference is not huge. So it seems like if you want an anti-police brutality movement, racializing it doesn't seem like a sensible idea. Mm-hmm. It's not a clearly racial issue. Yeah. And so, well, that's sad to hear that. You, so despite, despite the lockdown and sp- despite, there, despite there being no free movement, you've still been infected with the same virus that's gripped the West. Um, yes. So what... What is the, I mean, it's easy to say this in hindsight, but what, what is the libertarian solution? What should the government have done? I think the government shouldn't have done anything. Um, 
that's a hardline libertarian position. I think it's plausible that there could be a virus such that the libertarian um, position, or at least such that I would say that the government should, should do something, but this virus is not it. Um, the, un unless it's some kind of uh, epidemic that's going to cause just ridiculous amounts of destruction that's going to basically destroy, destroy a country, unless we're talking about like the Black Death or something, then it's fairly simple. The logic behind a I lockdown think, I think, is you can I just go. Well, the logic behind a lockdown is you're not allowed to leave your house because you might infect me if I decide to leave my house, which I think is fundamentally wrong. I, I think if, if you are worried about being infected, you should not leave your house. Uh, and if we're waiting for a vaccine like New Zealand thinks we are, then you stay at home and wait for a vaccine. If we're waiting for there to be herd immunity, you should wait for that. You shouldn't be able to force everyone else to. Mm. We're waiting for a vaccine that half the country doesn't want. <laughs> yes, the, um, um, I'm probably uh, going to be forced to take it. I will try to refuse, really? but I don't think they'll let me. Do you know what you want to do? I bet, <coughs> I bet you this becomes a thing. Hmm. On the dark net, false proof that you've taken the vaccine. Yeah. Some kind of false. I, no, I guess it's going to be really hard. You'd have to hack the, um, the, the medical database, which I bet you isn't that hard to hack. But um, do you know what I mean? A false certificate proving you've had the vaccine. Well, my position on vaccines is generally, I think, I think they're a positive thing. I think they generally work. Um, I think there's a little bit of overcompensation against anti-vax um, ideas. But compuls compulsory vaccination? Oh, absolutely against that. So that's the reason I would refuse the COVID vaccine is I want to make sure that I can. Um, also because it's probably going to be rushed out. You know, it's, gonna, it's probably not going to be the best tested and safest vaccine. It's going to be rushed out because of, of the fear about COVID. Um, but even yeah, I mean, beyond that, I just want to prove that I can avoid taking it, but I think I'll fail. Mm. The, it's quite interesting. Um, a lot of these guys, and, and they're often working for government bodies or government-funded bodies, ac um, academics and doctors, had been prepping for so long for some kind of global pandemic when there was the slightest sign of it coming they were all over it and they jumped on it so there was yeah. a lot of weird confirmation bias and things like that going on and again this seems to be this idea seems to have been a, a, a global thing every every or most nations health bodies seem to have been affected with the same thing do, do you know what yeah. i mean it's like it's like prepping for a nuclear war and then There's and then, and then just an ordinary war comes along and you treat it like it's a nuclear war. There was an excellent article by Jeffrey Tucker on the American Institute for Economic Research back in May. It's uh, called The 2006 Origins of the Lockdown Idea. Um, just briefly, um, you should, anyone listening should def definitely um, read it, but just briefly, it goes into how uh, these sorts of, the sort of lockdown idea was um, originally panned and thought ridiculous. They thought no one would accept it. Um, and it was gradually pushed through and they were, you know, trying to get it through for previous pandemics. They tried to get the lockdown um, through the, you know, uh, the systems of government um, with the SARS and the swine flu and things like that. Um, 
and this was just the one where they managed to get the lockdown successfully through. Mm. Yeah, is which... like because we've created this society. I'm talking about the UK now, where I can't remember what what portion of it, but but a large portion of the workforce works for the government in some way or other. Yeah, and. Um, uh, I wish I knew what the number was. It's not quite 50%, but I, it's certainly more than a quarter. Mm. And so, you know, it's fine. The lockdown's fine. They can work from home. They still get their pay. And the, the private sector on a relative basis seems to shrink and shrink and shrink. Yeah. And there's also a large portion of the UK who are retired on pensions so they've actually the lockdown in many ways has actually benefited them they're spending less they're living at home they're feeling safe there's this instinct that everyone seems to have that humankind seems to have where there's this need to control everyone else yeah. and so like we've been we're slowly trickling in these new lockdown measures and it seems in polling that that people overwhelmingly support them now they might be lying to the pollsters because they don't want to be uh deemed irresponsible but it seems that the majority of people support them yeah and if you believe in democracy in its current form which i don't i do but not if you believe do, in democracy in any form <laughs> yeah but it, but if you do then the you know you have to go okay well the majority of people want it it's the right thing to do um i mean it, 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 it's the same thing happening in new zealand where the majority of people support her measures yes. even those who've lost their businesses their livelihoods yes yes um and in fact it's kind of it's it's just starting to change over the last month it's just starting to change but until then it was a social taboo to question the lockdowns like people would really they'd get quite mad at you if you started saying that you think the lockdowns are a bad idea um even people who would be so seriously if you question affected, the lockdown even if you question yeah. the lockdown, you're, you're morally reprehensible because you want people to die. Yeah, exactly. you're killing grandma is what it, okay. the phrase. Um, and you're <laughs> killing grandma. It's always the same phrase. It's you're always killing grandma specifically because you just want to go get a haircut. Right? That's the way they always right. phrase it. It's, it you know, they, they just pick one thing you may want to do and then say, well, because this thing sounds trivial, I'll just say this. And by proxy say, everything you do in your life is also unnecessary. Um, but yeah, un until just recently, um, it was completely taboo. That's starting to shift, but even still, uh, when the last election happened, um, and our deal leader, Jacinda Ardern came in and she did not have a majority. Uh, she had to form a coalition government with, um, a third party in order to, uh, become prime minister. Now she's at was a she the largest single party. No, she was not even the largest single party. Uh, national was not like she's labor national was the largest single party national um, is, is more right is it yes but since the lockdowns the polling has flipped now national has almost no support and labor jacinda ardern's government has overwhelming support and would not need to um when the next election comes which is soon will not need to form a coalition government unless polling changes drastically very quickly um People seem to be supporting these lockdowns to a ridiculous degree. I, it's a, to be honest, it's very depressing. <laughs> I'm seeing mm. like a, a country being completely destroyed as far as I can tell, right? Businesses shut down, um, people out of work, 
people aren't allowed to travel, aren't allowed to um, get together with their friends, aren't allowed to live basically for months and months and months. And people are supporting it. I don't know. That's a, it's a real hit to my faith in humanity, to be honest. Yeah. I, um, I listened to, you know, you, you listen, she's deemed pretty hot, hot by the left. I don't mean hot in a sexy way. I mean, hot as in, you know, she's, she's a really good prime minister. Yes. And yet the irony is the same people who support her completely locking down the country would are opposed to locking down the UK, which is an island similar size, because, you know, and shutting it off because they're such champions of, you know, wanting more immigration. And yeah. we need to let the refugees in and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so there's this whole argument going on about migrant boats making it to the UK and there's a big argument we should let them in. But if you support, but then if you, if you'd say that, so what if there was a migrant, I don't think it's possible because of New Zealand's geography, but let's say there was a migrant boat full of um, North Africans or, or uh, whatever arriving in New Zealand, what would her, what would she do? Well, would she bung um, them all in a refugee camp in the countryside yeah. near some little village that's not Cape, you know, there's a village in Wales that's got, I think, 850 people in it and it's had 250 young Middle Eastern men dumped in it. 200, you know, all aged 25 and below. I mean, it's, that's just going to be so bad. It will. Um, she'd probably put them in quarantine, uh, just as though they were immigrants. That being said, the left wing in New Zealand is not that hot on immigration. Um, it's quite different from other left wing groups. Um, that might, maybe she's, because when, during the last election, the coalition party that she joined together with was called New Zealand First and is a very anti-immigration party. Uh, so maybe she's just kind of was saying that to form the coalition and now that she doesn't need them anymore, maybe she'll be like the rest of the left-wing parties. But if it was earnest, then New Zealand's a little bit unique in that our left-wing party is actually anti-immigration. So what's the, um, what's the solution? Because, I mean, I just, I'm looking at the UK and just going, it's, it's, when you sort of think with its history, the UK sort of, even with its ever-growing government, essentially it's quite, wants to be quite a free place, but I, I, I just don't see a solution for those who believe in libertarian values. I just think it gets worse. And the, what tends to happen during a crisis is, is uh, yeah, I'd love a black coffee. Were you offering me coffee? I'd love a black coffee, thank you. That's my non-libertarian other half. I see. Um, she, no, the, I mean, I just, I just y y what you tend to see in a crisis is the government control, whether it's greater taxes or greater laws or whatever, increases during the crisis. And then once the crisis has passed, it never goes back to the level it was before the crisis yeah. began. Yes. And so, you know, the, the obvious one is income tax. In, all, in the various world wars increased dramatically and then the war ends and they have to pay for the whole rebuilding effort and it never goes back to what it was before the war started. I think the UK so, originally introduced the very first income tax for a war. They did in, <laughs> in Napoleonic Wars, yeah. yeah. And they did abandon it. They abandoned it in, I think it was 1819, they abandoned it and apparently the cheer in the House of Commons could be heard across the whole of London when they oh, abandoned it. I didn't it. Know then they, they got rid of it. 
Yeah, they did. And then they reintroduced it in 1842. But to be fair enough, in 1842, Peel uh, reintroduced it, but he reintroduced it in order to get, because we had hundreds of petty taxes. And he right. got rid of all the petty taxes and just had one simple income tax. And it was such a nominal amount. It was like 3% or something. Um, and then, and, but it was introduced on a temporary basis and a hundred and, you know, nearly 200 years later. <laughs> who, who was it who said there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government solution? It was either Ronald Reagan or Milton Friedman. Yeah. But I want to do a song on this exactly thing about how <laughs> there's nothing as permanent as a, as a temporary government program. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so exactly that. I mean, that's the dynamic I'm talking about. It looks like a lot of this, like the culture of wearing masks or muzzles, as James Dellingpole calls them, is going to be like I saw a woman yesterday driving a car on her own, in her own car, wearing a mask. Like, why yeah. do you need a mask when you're on your own in your own car? Anyway, I don't know. But I think it's a signaling thing. I think it's, uh, maybe. you know, it, we're, we're good people because we wear the mask. I think that's basically the idea. Okay, it's like your little bit of uniform. Your Nazi, yeah, exactly. uh, it's like your Nazi badge. Yeah, or, or, or your hashtag Black Lives Matter in your Twitter profile. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I mean, how do we save the world? It, like, where's the immune? Do we all move to Sweden? What, 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 what do we do? <laughs> it's, isn't it weird that Sweden is the beacon of freedom now? Oh, yeah. boy. Oh, and, and Japan, I think, didn't do much of a lockdown yeah. either. That's, that's, that's them too. And no one ever talks about They Japan. have a culture of wearing masks anyway in Japan. My friend used to yeah, work but, in Japan and he said somebody would get a cold and that person, it's rather nice, the person yeah. who had the cold would come into the office and wear a mask so that yeah. nobody else in the office got it. So that's they, they an individual taking responsibility and, and, and taking everyone else into account. It's rather nice. But during the COVID situation, they didn't have a lockdown at all. You can see the normal videos of people being pushed into trains, you know, because uh, there's actually a job in Japan because their trains are so full to actually push people, to cram them in there. That, I'm not kidding. That's an actual job someone has. Yeah. Um, and um, some of them were wearing masks, but a lot of them weren't, right? And they're just being crammed into these trains. And that was Japan during the height of COVID. And, so how, clearly, and how badly did they get, did they, have they got herd immunity or what? Yeah, they've, they've had herd immunity. They've had one of the lowest death rates and infection rates in the world. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, I know, it's a know, fish diet. has no um, lockdown and it's, um, I believe it's uh, death rate and infection rate is lower than the UK. So clearly uh, yeah, it's it not, is. is, uh, it's okay, clearly it is, not, but not again, you can't, you can't, you just don't know because the data is so dodgy, but I, yeah, I it, gather it is. I'm, yeah, I, I, I mostly say with respect to COVID, I don't know over and over again because I, I don't mm. know if the data is right. Even if it is, I don't know what the cause of it really is. Does anyone like Japan's an island, the UK is an island. Um, Japan did no lockdown and the UK did a lockdown and Japan ended up much, much better off. Why? I don't know. It's a culture of wearing masks. Kind of. They were crammed onto trains with no masks. And, you know, the, How many people in New Zealand have had the virus? I don't know. Um, couple, I think about a couple of thousand. Um, and so basically, you do not have the virus in New Zealand? We said, they said that that eliminated it. Um, then a bunch more cases came up. Um, and then they said that, that eliminated it again. And I don't believe them. 
Um, I don't know how many people really have it, but the official numbers say that about 2,000 people ended up having it and now it's gone. Um, but then again, it was gone before and it wasn't gone. So, so if, there's nobody, if there's nobody entering or leaving the country, then why can't you just carry on? For, for those just listening, I'm shrugging profusely. Um, okay. I have no idea. Thank you. Uh, there's no... There's, there's no particular reason. Um, I mean, we do still have cases, uh, I think. My girlfriend's just handed me a cup of coffee with the instruction that she's actually more libertarian than I am. Okay. Oh, more libertarian than you are. <laughs> oh, cool. Is she an ANCAP? Uh, are you an ANCAP? Are you an ANCAP? She says she's not authoritarian like me and doesn't believe in capital punishment. <laughs> okay, okay. Did she think ANCAP had something to do with capital punishment? No, no, she was say, oh yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> anyway, um, the, uh, so yeah, so how do we save the world? How do we like rid the world of this, this problem? We don't and we will fail. Did you want a better yeah. answer than that? No. There isn't one. Like, so what do we just sort of trudge on and carry on making the argument and know we're doomed to lose? Yeah. Um, like a donkey. Brian, Brian Kaplan makes a really good point is, um, you know, when you feel like, you know, we're not making a difference and, you know, like we're, we keep trying and we're bashing our head against the wall. We haven't seen what the world would be like if we weren't pushing hard in the direction of freedom. Right. You know, m maybe we're making some marginal difference and it would be worse. Mm. So, you know, it's, it could still be worth doing. Yeah. Um, and keep hoarding gold and Bitcoin. Keep hoarding. I'm not a fan of Bitcoin, actually. Um, I, I am a fan of gold. I'm not a fan of Bitcoin. I, I don't think that it's a good currency replacement because I, I think there's a, there are economic reasons that the price can't stabilize. And if it can't stabilize, I don't think that'll work like as a proper like money replacement. I think a lot of people see Bitcoin as, you know, in, in future Libertopia or whatever we're talking about, um, the currency will, of course, be Bitcoin. I, I don't think it would work. And Kapistan. And Kapistan, yeah. In and Kapistan, I don't think we'll use Bitcoin. I, I think it needs to be a currency backed by a commodity uh, in order to stabilize the value. Okay. Um, the, uh, I'm not going to bother defending Bitcoin. I've, I've written enough about it. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, it solves it all, it but solves the um, it all. yeah, it it never seems to happen. But I wonder if we get inflation, bad inflation, as a result of all this. Yeah, you know, you um, you can't you can't carry on doing what they do to money and print it and do the rest of the things. It ends badly at some point. Well, and it'll be it'll be global. It'll be global. It won't, it'll be, you know, it'll be all the currency, all the, the currencies of all the countries that have been idiotic. China will be okay. Um, yeah. If, if China is no longer dependent on other countries um, for the enforced and export, they'll end up poorer. China's got all the gold. Yeah, <laughs> they've got all the gold, but they've also got all the production, right? Mm. They produce a significant amount of the world's stuff. And if they simply stopped destroying the value of their currency intentionally in order to export it, and they could just consume their own products. Yeah. So, yeah. If the, if the world goes to hell, China is going to be okay, which uh, 
I don't know. I'm not, I'm not suggesting any kind of conspiracy or anything, but it makes it kind of suspicious that they're the ones who would survive if this COVID lockdown stuff destroys the world. And it does have something to do with China. Well, I mean, it's all part of the, uh, the war, isn't it? War. It's the, well, it's the, the, I mean, I, again, I don't know enough about it to hold court, but there's a sort of war by proxy going on. It's not an over, yeah. you know, I'll try and kill your people and you try and kill mine, but there's definitely power games going on between China oh. and everyone else. And it's all part of that. There always are. Yeah, there, there always are. Um, I don't know. It, it's China seems to be having more and more of an impact on pop culture and things like that. Cause they're, you know, a lot, a lot of companies are sort of kowtowing to them. Um, a good example is not too long ago, Blizzard, um, the video game company for anyone who doesn't know, uh, banned a prominent um, pro gamer for saying something along the lines of free Hong Kong. And it was because they didn't want, because they didn't want to uh, lose their business in China, which they could have if they had not banned this guy. And that oh, caused wow. a big fuss, but um, as much of a fuss as the Western fans kicked up, apparently that they, they sided with China. Nope, he stays banned. And there's been a lot of those situations, like uh, something, there was something similar with regards to the NBA. Um, there's been stuff with other, with television shows and things like that, but I've seen that a lot lately. Mm. Okay, what should we talk about now, Danny? Well, um, seeing as how the world's screwed and there's nothing we can do about it, I actually just like talking about libertarianism anyway, because it's... Uh, the, the philosophical side of it is just fun anyway. I, I think philosophy is fun and libertarianism is philosophically correct. So even if I thought there was absolutely no chance of ever improving the world in any way by advocating libertarianism, I'd still talk about it a lot. Yeah. There's a nice quote on those lines. This is, find the right answer, realize you'll never see it in your lifetime, but advocate it anyway, because it's the right answer. Yeah. Although I suppose mine is less noble because my reason was because it's fun. <laughs> well, um, yeah. And so, and are you a sort of Adam Smith, uh, libertarian, classical liberal? We should be at, you know, government should do things like build infrastructure and police the nation and that kind of thing. Or are you total Ancapistan, no government, no orders, uh, no borders, nothing? I am in favor of anarcho-capitalism. Um, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, no borders, I'd say privatize the borders would be a better way of putting it. You can have borders. better, that's for sure. Exactly. Like, th there are more private security guards in the world right now than there are um, government policemen. What you, you want competing uh, forces uh, uh, battling it out with each other to control the borders. <laughs> Um, the border situation, I don't think would work like the current one does. If, if you actually, it sounds a little bit weird when I talk about abolishing the government and um, people don't know what I mean by that. They think, oh, you'll just no one, there'll be no laws and no rules because there's no government. Um, I, I do advocate for anarcho-capitalism only incrementally. I, I don't want to tear down the government today. If you did tear down the government today, you would get another government tomorrow. Um, but 
if you did privatize various aspects of the government and you saw that it improved it, you know, okay, privatize healthcare, um, start privatizing uh, education, and you start privatizing all these things, start privatizing roads, um, you're going to start to see things improving. And I think if you continue doing that, there would not be a point at which you would stop because there would not be a point at which it would be worse for privatizing something. And that includes the law itself. Um, so, like I said, there's more private security yards in almost every Western country uh, than there are government police. So protecting your property is already primarily privatized. It's just, I want to mm. privatize the rest of it. Um, the law is already to some degree privatized. Uh, when two companies have um, a contract with one another, sure, it's backed up by the courts, but it's not just backed up by the courts. Often they'll have an arbitration clause in it where they've both pre-agreed to go to an arbitrator and his ruling will uh, decide that um, contract uh, if, it, if it comes up, not, not the government courts. Um, I think that you can simply keep pushing it and you can privatize every aspect of government and have a positive change as a result. Mm -hmm. Well, let's hope for it. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, it's, um, oh God, I fear for the future of the UK at the moment. It's I very fear for grim. the future of the UK. I fear for the present of the UK. Um, I think I first decided that the UK was a lost cause when the Count Dankula trial happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't been paying that much attention to British politics really until then. Um, but I just decided to because it was fascinating. Wow. Like I, a guy made a joke and he was convicted for it. <laughs> you guys are screwed. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's insane. And um, it's this, this religion, it's religion, this religion of woke that just is utterly humorless. And it's just got everyone. Do we have religion in, in Ankapistan? <laughs> I'm not um, religious. Uh, I don't believe in God. Or is, it, is, um, is freedom the religion? Sure that sounds like a good religion to me. I think I, I want to create that religion. I, if there was a religion, which was just, you know, go to church every Sunday and, uh, you know, Worship share the freedom. good world of Milton Friedman, then that would be fine. I'd go, I'd go to <laughs> yeah, we get read. We read from Friedman. <laughs> yes, beautiful. Or, yeah. sing. Or, Betty, or Betty at David Friedman. I think his son is the better Friedman. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because he's, Friedman the, he's is the anarcho just so good. You could just spend your whole life reading, reading Milton Friedman quotes. You yeah. could, yeah. You could, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm even more of a fan of his son, David Friedman, who is the anarcho-capitalist. Um, he actually, okay. he's actually one of the first people, in fact, I'd say really the first person to properly lay out an idea of anarcho-capitalism um, about how you'd actually privatize literally every aspect of government. What's his best book called? There were people who advocated for it before, but um, he was the one who did it most completely. And it was Machinery of Freedom was the book. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to read it. Yes. I stopped yeah. reading books. Every oh. time I go to pick up a book, the book is in competition with my phone and the phone always wins. What I've started doing is audiobooks because you can... Yeah. You can listen to a book and you know, you can do other things. You can work out, you can, um, yeah. When, when I'm having a, when I'm driving anywhere, I'm listening to a book. Um, I'm it's currently definitely listening a solution. To, 
currently listening to Socialism Sucks, Two Economists Drink Their Way Around the Unfree World. Have you heard of that? No. Pretty, pretty, pretty neat book. Um, yeah, the, the concept is uh, Ben Powell is an economist um, and uh, a guy who I can't remember the name of, actually. Um, but they go country to country about, through different socialist regimes that still exist in the world, Cuba, Venezuela, even they go to the border of North Korea and just to try the products coming through. And the thing that they do in each place is they have the beer and compare it in the different places um, in order to have a, like a test case of how yeah. different socialist um, economies work. And the punchline is that at, um, they, at the end of it, they go to America and they have, go to a socialist convention in America. And the one socialist yeah. convention was a um, socialist branded beer company, which is a capitalist company in America, but it's socialist branded, has more yeah. and better varieties of beer than all the socialist company, countries put together. That's amazing. Yeah. Can I recommend you an audio book? Fantastic. I'm, I'm listening to tons at the moment, so I want more. It's called The Shadow Punk Revolution. Yeah. And it's sort of an allegory for Bitcoin, your favorite thing. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's from the tradition of the 70s concept album. Things like War of the Worlds, you know, where there was music oh, and story yeah. at the same time. And it's all about invisibility. So invisibility. these techno activists have invented invisibility coats to protect about, against state and corporate invasion of privacy. Hmm. And... The idea is, you know, these invisibility coats are a force for good because they protect privacy, but people are also using these coats for nefarious purposes. And it's all about that dilemma. And okay. it's got the most electrifying rock soundtrack. And it's just absolutely great. That sounds fantastic. What is it? Um, Shadow it's Punk called something? the Shadow Punk Revolution. Revolution. So Shadow Punk is an obvious nod in the direction of cypherpunk. Yes. You know who the cypherpunks were? Um, yeah. yeah, I very vaguely, like there were some kind of group of um, anarchists, I believe. Well, am I thinking of crypto anarchists? Yeah, they were the, the precursors are. to the, the cypherpunks, not cyber, cypher, cypher. were all into, um, they were the guys in the 90s who, basically the roots of Bitcoin tech all lie in yeah. the cypherpunks libertarian and capitalist and their their solution to everything was code writing yeah. code in particular privacy code and um what do you call it uh um cryptography i do agree with them uh, on that i think that that is yeah one of the solutions to everything um and that but their their big yeah. thing was anonymous digital cash and they decided it was impossible and then the big breakthrough of, of satoshi was that he he invented yeah. it well, I think that it is impossible. <laughs> Anonymous digital cash? Um, sort of. No, it already exists. Do you think Bitcoin is cash? Well, it's supposed to be. But there's, there's other ones. There's, there's like, I've lost yeah. count of how many cryptocurrencies there are. There are better ones than Bitcoin. For, I think, for cash uh, and micropayments and anonymity and all that. Monero is better. Uh, I think that unless it has backing, it will not be like you can still use it as a currency, 
But I think the value of those uh, currencies- I'm being paid for this interview in Bitcoin. Right. I'm not saying that Bitcoin cannot be used for transactions. I think anything can be used for transactions. And Bitcoin's value, I think, is primarily propped up by people who think that it will be a dominant currency. However, I don't think that that is the case. Uh, I think that it will, it's essentially a bubble. Right, it's uh, yeah, but the same thing you, you say the same thing about gold. Gold's value is propped up by people who think gold's going to be money again. But but someone's willing to be left holding the bag, right? So if no one else wants my gold, maybe I don't want it. But there's someone who wants it, even if no one else wants it, right? There's people who will um, use it in electronics or jewelry or other stuff like that, right? Some there's someone out there who's be, who's Will it, who values it even if no one else does whereas with bitcoin that's not true if no one else values it no one then no one values not values it right so i think that that means that there's nothing solid at its base in order to hold the currency uh, keep the currency having a stable value um i think that anonymous digital currency is kind of impossible without a trusted issuer which i think is a real problem because it would be great if we didn't need a trusted issuer but i think we do because uh, I think it won't be stable otherwise. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, if, if Bitcoin stabilizes, you know, if Bitcoin stops at its volatility for um, any uh, for a couple of months, even was to drop below um, gold or it even won't. or even fiat, then I'm then I'm proven wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong. No, that, that will never stop. Yeah. So you think it'll, it'll carry keep it volatile? Well, it, it'll it'll carry on growing in value. The, as the network grows and expands, and more people buy bitcoins, uh, and and you know fiat currency gets debased, and there's a limited supply of bitcoin, it's just always going to grow in value. And as it grows in value, the, then you will get this speculative element to it, and it will go up too much, and then come back, and then go up too much, and come back, and it's inevitable. Yeah, but that doesn't so that happen end. with. Um that doesn't happen to the same degree with gold and fiat. And I think that no. that's why gold and fiat are better as currencies. Um, I think even fiat is a better currency than Bitcoin. Uh, Gold's at least a terrible in terms currency. Of, uh, I don't, why? Because you can't use gold for small transactions. I mean, gold's, you know, gold hasn't been a, paper's better currency than gold. Gold's um, a brilliant store of wealth, but it's not a good currency. Hold on. Uh, when I say gold, I'm including uh, receipts for gold, right? Like a, a, no, a note or a... Um, sure, some, but or even, a, a, even, a, a, Or these days, a digital claim to some sure, amount but of even, gold. Sure, but even notes, like even notes today, we still use coins for small transactions. Yes. You know, um, copper well, and actually, uh, actually, in New Zealand, we don't. Um, yeah, uh, I know, but I mean, even... But we are really pretty cashless. I mean, fiat is probably a better currency than gold i'm talking not talking a store of wealth i'm talking specific currency i don't see why um, you can't just have a currency backed by gold right i get that like literally like you can gold stuff, and it exists but I'm not and there's a million there's a million yeah. you know grip gold back crypto coins but the the uh, you know okay. the, 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 news the, to me. the word the 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 word for um uh money like in throughout history, gold has always been what you use to store your wealth, and you would use silver as money as currency, in that sense. And you know, and that's why, for example, 
you have the word silver and the word money, and in, in this context, meaning currency, are interchangeable in, I can't remember how many languages, more than 50 different languages around the world. Cool. Argent, plata, uh, uh, and so on. So right. silver and copper and nickel and, and other metals and, and whatever things, you know, and salt and cigarettes, they've all been forms of currency. Uh, yeah. In the way, and gold's never been a great currency. That's all. That's the only distinction I make. Yes, you can have, um, you know, there's gold money's got a digital gold. There's all sorts of digital gold systems, and in yeah. theory, it works. And glint is another one. Glint's probably the best one. But, but gold money isn't a cryptocurrency. Um, it, you said there were gold-backed cryptocurrencies. I don't yeah, understand yeah, how that are. works. So each unit represents a certain amount of gold that's stored in wherever it's stored, Zurich or Hong Kong or something. But then you have an issuer, right? Yeah, you, you, need, you need a third party middleman who is the guy who confirms. Right. He issues your transaction and yeah. confirms that this bit of the, the ownership of this little bit of gold has changed in this vault. Yeah, no, that's I think that that I, I like those concepts. I think that can work. Um, but I think and nobody uses the, it. Yeah. Well, nobody's allowed. People to use it. Them. People, they're, they're, they're good, but nobody uses them to affect transactions. No. Um, I think they that people fiat. generally use fiat. And I think there's good reason. So first of all, fiat is really very stable. It actually has lower volatility than gold, I believe. Um, so fiat is morally, I think, a rather horrible system. But yeah, it constantly loses its value. It's it's effective currency, yeah. but it is it just you know every year you lose it loses its value, and over the next few years it's going to lose its value even more rapidly because of all the money that's being printed. And the way that it gets its value in the first place, it's all horrible. Like for example, you know, um, the U.S. forcing uh, a Middle Eastern kingdom to accept gold, um, U.S. dollars, and nothing else for their oil, for example. Yeah, it's um, all that. I mean, it's things, backed by things the US like government, that. effectively. Yeah. So, so to prop up um, fiat, a lot of horrible things are done, but they're effective. Without fiat money, governments would not be able to do all the horrible things they do. We wouldn't have government welfare. We wouldn't have any of the things, wars. It's all made possible by fiat money. And the sooner that fiat money ends, the better for all of us, even though it is an effective currency. I agree. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's an effective currency. What a shame. We, it, it, the cost is too high. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think you could make a great currency out of um, gold, silver. I, I think probably a commodity bundle is my preferred currency. Right? Like, so yeah. uh, you, you get, grab a bu bundle of commodities. They'll all have different, um, the prices of all of these different commodities, like maybe some gold and some iron and some copper. And you have it, that ticket and it can be redeemed for, I mean, now it would be digital, but just uh, to make it easier to understand. And that, could, that ticket can be redeemed for that amount of gold and copper and iron, et cetera. That ticket now no, has a very points. stable. Yeah, something like that. Like in, uh, I think they do that in African countries. They trade mobile phones. cards. Yeah, that's the one. Um, but yeah, because you've got a bunch of different commodities in that bundle, the idea would be that that would keep higher stability because if one crashes, the other ones won't, right? So I think that would probably be my ideal currency. It's a bundle of commodity. Yeah, a stable coin advocate. Yeah.
I think, I think the prices need to be relatively stable, right? I, if I sign a contract for my job, I need to know whether the amount that we've agreed to is going to be enough for me to buy a yacht or not enough for me to eat tomorrow. <laughs> I prefer, I prefer coin, uh, a currency that increases in value rather than one that depreciates. Anyway, yes. Danny, this, we're, we're going down a, a, an endless vortex and one that I've been down many times before. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> Um, I'm going to, I think I'm going to draw this interview to a close. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Danny. If, if people want to find out more about you and what you do and so on, uh, how would they do that? Uh, just go to YouTube, search Danny Duchamp and you'll see my videos. I also have a blog that I've just recently started updating and I am at Danny can talk on Twitter. Good stuff. That'd be enough. Well, Danny Duchamp, uh, thank you very much. Nice talking to you. Good to talk to you too. Thank you.